Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. In the state of Maine, a number of years ago, they were building a hydroelectric dam. And in a valley, there was an area of a town that they were going to have to relocate all the people there because the town was going to be submerged. And they they noticed this this town had been very well kept and very neat and orderly. But when they made that decision, and before the actual dam was built, the town fell into disrepair. People just no longer maintained the town. And one of the residents said, well, there's no hope for the future. There's no power in the present. This morning, as we talk about the difference that Christianity makes. What difference does it make? To be a Christian, does that make any difference? Is it just another religion? Is it just another philosophy or way of life? Or is it something that actually has power and can actually change our life? And the answer is yes, because as a believer in God, we have hope. And a hope not just for the day, but for the future and for eternity. Hope is a confident, favorable expectation. It's not a... a, a lot of times people say, I'm hoping and a praying. A lot of times people have made hope to be a wish. Not a wish. It is a favorable, confident expectation. We're expecting something good. Now, we got to have hope. We live with hope. You know that. NFL football season is going to start soon. <laughs> and every year, yes, we're all excited. And every year, every year, teams begin with a sense of hope that things will be better this year than they were last year. And maybe unless you're the Chiefs who won the Super Bowl, but all of us, oh, please. (laughs) This is Texas. (laughs) No, they're, they're a good team. And listen, this is the only time of the year when the Cowboys and the Texans fans have one thing in common. We're hoping for something better. (laughs) Some of you are waiting for me to say something snarky about the Cowboys. But I've changed. (laughs) I'm now an ambassador of peace. And we need somebody from Texas to do better. It's just quite hope for everybody starts with hope for their teams. You know, relationships start with hope. I don't think anybody gets married thinking it's going to be awful. (laughs) Never talk with a young couple and they're just like, we're despondent. Well, we're going to do it. It's going to be bad, but we're going to do it. No, everyone starts with hope. Everyone begins with hope. And and then there's always a hope in relationship. That's really oftentimes what keeps a relationship alive. A number of years ago, there was a, a, a seminar and one of the breakout sessions was how to live with a loving relationship with your husband. And a group of ladies were in there, and the, the lady who was leading the breakout seminar, she said, how many of you have told your husbands that you love them today? And a few raised their hands. He said, when's the last time you told your husband that you loved him? And some said yesterday, some couldn't remember. And so this lady said, okay, I'm, pull out your cell phones. She said, I want you to text your husbands right now, I love you, sweetheart, exclamation point. She said, text it. She said, at the end of the class, we will we'll switch off cell phones and we'll read the responses. And so they texted that. Here are some of the response, the actual responses that actual, 
came in. And I changed some of these just because we're in church. <laughs> First one was, who is this? <laughs> Second one was, uh, mother of my children, are you sick? <laughs> Third one was, yeah, I love you too. What's wrong? <laughs> Number four, what's, what now? Did you wreck the car again? <laughs> Number five, don't beat around the bush. Just tell me how much you need. <laughs> Number six, am I dreaming? Number seven, if you don't tell me who this message is actually for, someone will die. I like number eight. I thought we agreed you would not drink during the day. <laughs> and number nine, your mother's coming to stay, isn't she? <laughs> we hope for a loving relationship. And we hope for the future. The hope is as we look in the future, and this is where I've noticed that people, in fact, they're starting to address it, the isolation, the loneliness, uh, even politicians are talking about the, the, the way we've become isolated as a nation, so compartmentalized, and, and they're talking about the future. But now, I'm gonna tell you something, guys. Listen, if your hope is only in what government can do, you're, you're in bad shape. That our hope has gotta be in God first. And the, our hope for the future. And listen, God, God knows that. He wants his people to be full of hope. That's his plan. That's his desire for us. Look at Romans 15, 13. This is a favorite verse of mine. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the God of hope. He's not the God of gloom and doom. He's not the God of negativism. He's not the God of uh-oh. He's the God of hope. And he wants us full of joy and peace as we believe him that we would abound. That word abound, we don't use it much, but you know what it means? It means to have an excess, to have more than enough, to be overflowing. Man, wouldn't it be great to be just overflowing in a positive expectation? Life would be better. If we're abounding in hope, he said, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit's there to help us to do that. And then what we believe makes a major difference. Hope is powerful. God wants his people full of hope. In the 1950s, uh, a researcher by the name of Carl Richter did a, an experiment that by today's standard would, would be considered cruel. But he took some rats. He was a Harvard grad. He was working for John Hopkins. And he, he took some rats and he put them in a tub where they couldn't get out, a tub of water, and he measured how long they would swim. He said the average rat swam about 15 minutes and then drowned. But he had a second group. If you're feeling sorry for rats... Please. Yeah. <laughs> to me, rats are just like one step above a snake as, as, as something that needs to die. Anyway, um, <laughs> but the second group of rats was same species, same size. Rats are good swimmers. And he put these rats in and let them swim. And right before they're about to die, he pulled them out. And he toweled them off, dried them off, let them rest up a little bit and then put them back in the water to see how long they would swim again. And they didn't swim for 15 minutes. They didn't swim for 30. These rats swam for close to 60 hours. Psychologists have looked at that and they've, they've talked about the amazing power of hope. Hope 
these, little, these rats obviously believed they swam and someone was going to rescue them, so they kept swimming with that hope that they would be rescued. Hope is powerful. And our God knows that hope is powerful. He said, now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, the greatest of these is love, but you can't discount hope. That confident, favorable expectation that'll keep a rat swimming will keep you going. And our hope is in God. There's a great story in the Bible about an individual well-known, Paul, who really brought hope in the middle of a storm. Paul was a, at this point in his life, it's toward the end of his life, he's a prisoner. They're sending him to Rome. He's going to appeal before Caesar. And on the way there, they put him on a ship, and the, the ship reached a point where they were harboring in a place, and they thought it's not a good place to harbor, but it was not time to sail. And Paul has an interchange with them, we see here. But much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. Paul said something interesting. He said, I perceive. He didn't say I had a vision. He didn't say I had a, saw an angel. He didn't say had a dream. He said, I perceived. Sometimes people will call that today a kind of a, we call it a gut feel. I, I think it's a more, a, I like the term sensing something. He sensed something. What he sensed was, we got trouble, guys. Big trouble. Not only are we going to lose the ship, not only are we going to lose the cargo, we can lose our lives. But they wouldn't listen to Paul. Paul was a prisoner. He didn't have any voice. They listened to the captain. They listened to the owner of the ship. I'm sure had a timeline he's trying to make. He's trying to make money. Money decision, majority. And the majority said, we need to sail. So that's what they did. They sailed. But there was a problem. In fact, they sailed when, when the scriptures say that a, a southerly wind blew softly. Like, oh, here's this sweet southern wind. Off they went. Didn't turn out too well because they ran straight into the middle of a hurricane. <coughs> Excuse me. And running into the middle of a hurricane, they just got caught up in the hurricane. I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't move. They, they couldn't sail into the headwind. They just finally had to let the boat drive, and boy, it did, and it went for days and days. Just, they're just caught up in it. It's just, just, they're at the mercy. They're throwing stuff overboard. They threw the cargo overboard. They threw the, the tackle of the ship overboard. I mean, these guys are in trouble. And thank God, God injected some hope into the situation we'll read here. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, in other words, you couldn't tell what it was. It was so black and dark. And no small tempest beat on us. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after a long abstinence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. 
in the middle of a situation where all these people, there were 276 people on this boat and they all gave up hope. I think Paul had even given up hope until God injected some hope into the situation and an angel came and spoke to him. He said, well, I don't believe in angels. I bet you would if you were on that boat. And man, it, it came and spoke and he had a message and the, and the promise was that they were going to make it. Now I love, there's a part of this. He said, he said, Paul, message is, Paul, you got to talk to Caesar. In other words, you're going to appeal before Caesar. You got to witness before Caesar and God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Let me just stop right here. There are some of you, you're the only Christian in your family and you're thinking, I can't make it. I'm the only believer in my family. You stay strong because you don't know how much you impact those who sail with you. And there are people on your boat that are getting spared because you're there and that you're praying for them. You stay steady. Paul was on the, on the boat and an angel appeared to him and said, you got to be brought before Caesar. Now, Paul, when he stood up, he said, he said, guys, he said, I told you. I don't think he was doing that to go nanny nanny. I think he was doing it to say, I told you the truth then. I'm telling you the truth now. Here's the deal. An angel said that none of us are going to die. That all of us are going to live. That all of us are going to make it. And Paul injected some hope into that situation when there was no hope. Hope had been given up, but here comes God. And he put some hope in that situation. And so now they're, they're starting to feel like, okay, all right, maybe we're going to make it. But here's the, here's the thing about Paul. He was different. Paul, when he said, he said, there stood by me tonight the angel, and he talked about his identity with God, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Paul didn't just say God. He said, there's a God I've got a relationship with. I belong to God. He has redeemed me. He has bought me. I'm his. I'm part of his family. And not only am I part of his family, I've lived my life to serve him. And this God is the one who said we're going to make it. So he identified with God. And then I love what he said at the end. He said, guys, I want to tell you something. I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. Now, what do you say? Listen, you say, well, did, it, did the storm stop and the sun come out? No, Paul is probably holding on to a mast. That thing is pitching up and down. People are just sick and they've not eaten in a while. And he's holding on. He's going, hey guys, be encouraged. <laughs> We're going to make it. And here's the deal. Because Paul believed what was going to happen, Paul had hope. The storm didn't stop for a little while. But a few days later, Paul stands up and he takes some bread and he breaks, he said, guys, he said, you need to eat. They hadn't eaten in two weeks. He said, you need to eat. You need it for your strength. He said, we're, gonna, we're all going to make it. And he broke bread and he gave thanks before God. And when he did that, the Bible said that all of those in there were encouraged and they began to eat. And Paul, who never had any voice, was now the voice in, on that ship. And they made it all the way into, the ship broke up, but they made it safely into land. Somebody had some hope in the middle of a storm. Now here's, you say, well, that's a great story, but I'm not Paul. I haven't seen an angel. And does this really relate to me? What difference does Christianity make? Makes all the difference in the world because we are people with hope. We are a hope-filled people. And here's how we can see more hope in our lives. First thing we need to do is this. We need to pay attention to the whispers of our heart. Paul said, I perceive. 
Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit's ministry when he came that he would, he would help us. In John, the 14th chapter, Jesus said this, however, when he, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak. Now look at this one. He will tell you things to come. I bet there's many of us in here who, who can honestly say, you know, I just had a gut feeling about this. Have you ever had that? You said, you know, I, or you hear people say this, I knew I shouldn't have done that. I, or I knew that was going to happen. We need to pay attention to the whispers of our heart because the Holy Spirit can help us and help us deal with things in life and give us hope for time to come. Joy, father left her when, biological father left her when she was six weeks old. And when she was seven, her mother remarried a guy named Del Todd. He's a good man. Dead ringer for John Wayne, 6'4", big guy, Miami vice officer. And just moral man, good man, had no time for God or religion. Didn't mind if we did, but he wasn't into it. Joy would say, Dad, you need to pray with me. He's like, no, no, no you, you pray for me, Joy. Big, tough Irish cop. We, uh, they came out to see us Christmas before we started the church. And on a Christmas Eve service at another church, Joy was passing a candle. You know, I had someone lights a candle, you light the next person. We used to do that here. Now we have LED candles. And uh, <laughs> they don't drip nor burn. So uh, she, lit, she lit her candle. And when she turned to light Dale's candle, he was standing right beside her. She said, immediately a scripture came up in her, a whisper of the Lord that said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. That's a song. That's a verse. And two things hit joy. Is he going to die? And he's not a saint. He's not a believer. So that was Christmas. They left. They came back in January and they sat joy and I down. They said, we didn't know it at that time. They found out in January. said, Dale has cancer. He's got, a, he's got a year to live. When Dale left the room, Joy's mother looked at her and said, he doesn't have a year. Time is short. Might be three months. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saint. The Holy Spirit had told Joy. And so Joy had, she had some hope. She believed that that's the way it was going to be. And so she would talk to her dad. A lot of times, Joy was sick at that time. Dale was sick. He'd be lying on the couch and she's talking to him. Dad, you gotta, you got to pray with me. Dad, you got to believe in Jesus. And he kept saying, you pray for me, Joy. You pray for me. She said one day, she said the house was crazy. The kids were yelling. Her mom's making meals. She looked at her dad. She said, Dad, would you pray for me? And he said, Joy, you, pr you pray for me. And she said, no, Dad, you pray. And he said, okay, just this once. <laughs> That's all we need. And Joy led him in a prayer and he confessed Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And, and here's the... And three weeks later, he was gone. The family priest who came by to see him said, I've never seen a man more peaceful in death than him. Once he prayed that prayer was the first time we began to hear him say, just let me go, just let me go. The Holy Spirit told her, and she believed that it would be just as it was told her. We need to listen to the whispers of our heart. Second thing we need to do, go ahead and put it up, guys. Identify strongly with your connection to God. When you made Jesus your Lord, you were, what, what the scripture said, Jesus said you were born again. It's a spiritual recreation. You were, you're a new creation. We say that in here every week. We become a new creation in Christ. But not only that, but you now have a connection with God. It's, it's a connection 
but it's powerful. Paul wrote the Ephesian church and he said this. He said, now therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, the believers, and members of the household of God. In other words, when you made Jesus your Lord, you became not, no longer are you estranged from God's kingdom. Now you're a citizen of God's kingdom. You're a part of his kingdom. And not just are you a part of his kingdom, but you're a part of his family. And so we belong to the family of God. So Paul stood up and said, the God to whom I belong, you can say the exact same thing. If you made Jesus your Lord, the Bible said, do you realize you've been bought with the price? We have been bought with the price. We belong to him. We're part of his family. And as we're part of his family, but here's the next thing. We have to begin to, to build that relationship with him. Because when your relationship with him is built, is stronger. When that connection with him, when your connection with him is stronger, the conviction of your heart is stronger. And when you do this, when you just simply say, Lord, I'm not just trying to fit you into my busy life. I got Sunday, yeah, I've got this other thing I do a lot. I'm busy life, I'm trying to fit the Lord in. I'm not trying to fit the Lord in. I'm trying to put him first in every area of my life. And if we want different, we have to live different. And if we'll make that connection, the stronger your connection is and the stronger the place that you give him, then the stronger that connection. If you give it, the more room you give him, the better the, better the connection so that when things get rough, we can stand up and say, I believe God that it's going to be just as he told me, that we're going to come through, that we can say that with conviction because we are identifying with him and we're strong in our relationship with him. You hear me talk about it, guys. I love the fact that you're here on Sunday. I love the fact that you're watching online, but you want to take this home with you. You want to live this life. You want to do, say, well, you know, I keep messing up. Join the club. But as long as you keep getting up, that's all. You just keep living this life because there are people around you that need you and we need you strong. So when you walk out of here on Sunday, don't just hang it up and say, that's my Christian duty for the day. No, take him home. Live with him. He's the God to whom you belong and whom you serve. And that makes all the difference in the world. So here's the, here's the last one. Here's the third one. We become people who believe beyond what is. Paul, when he said, I believe God that it's going to be. In other words, it's not like this now. He said, but I believe it's going to be that. We believe beyond what is. When you believe beyond what is, there's some power in that. Tim Keller tells, gave the analogy of if, if you took two, two twin sisters, same age, same background, same education, same energy level, same strength, and he gave them a job, and the job was very mundane. He was working on an assembly line. Take item A, put it in slot B. Item A, slot B. Item A, eight, eight hours a day. But you, the only difference is you tell one sister, at the end of the year, you make $30,000. You tell the other sister, at the end of the year, you make $30 million. Is there going to be a difference between how they handle that job? Oh, yeah. The one who's making 30000 after about two weeks, she's like, I'm sick of this job. I, this job is killing me. It is mundane. It is boring. And the other sister, the one who's making 30 million is like, I love this job. I love this job. I whistle as I work because she knows something good is coming. You say, well, great, Alan. Offer me 30 mil. I'll get happy too. 
I don't, we don't have, I can't promise you 30 million. But God has already given us promises. We're not people, we're people, and let, and let me just use my hands and put my hand in front of my face. We're not people who simply believe what's staring us in the face. We believe beyond that. You may be staring right now, you may be just feeling like, I am so weak. Joy said, Alan, when you do that, put your hand away from your face. Sorry, Joy, it doesn't work that way. When, when you... When you, are, when you are staring, the, I just feel so weak. I feel emotionally weak. I, I just feel so weak. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to make a feel. That's what is. But beyond that is a promise of God that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the Lord is the strength of my life. When I look beyond what is to the promise, that's when I have hope. When I believe not just what I'm facing, but what I believe that God is saying in my life, you say, well, he, an angel hasn't appeared to me. Hey, you don't need an angel to appear to you. Your word, his word is stronger than the word of an angel. That's the solid word. You may say, well, you know what? I'm ill. I'm dealing with mental illness or I'm dealing with physical illness. Thank God that might be what is, but there's a promise on the other side of that that says by his stripes, you are healed and he will restore your soul. There's a strength in that. I don't just look at what is. I look beyond what is. That's how we become people of hope. When you think I'm just at a dead end and I just, I don't know what to do and no one cares and no one's around me. That's what is. But what's beyond that is see, the Lord said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We can boldly say the Lord is my helper. Do you see what I'm saying? Stop. We don't have just to live with what is. We can live with what's beyond and when we live with what's beyond, those promises are what give us hope. And you could just, you say, well, you know what? I just, I just feel like I, I don't know what direction I'm going to go. Thank God we have the direction that, that he would guide us and lead us. So what do we need to do? We need to find the promises that are beyond where we are now. Alan, I just, I just feel so, I just feel so despondent. And I feel like I'm just, my life, I just fear, fear and oppression. But beyond that is that he said he gave us his peace. We're not people who live this way. We're people who look beyond it. And there's a reason for that. The hope that it brings in your life and the hope that you have that can take, that can minister to someone else. Paul became a voice of hope, not just for him, but for everybody on that boat. And he said, guys, I'm going to believe God. People are looking for hope so desperately now. They're looking for it. So when we begin to say, God, thank you. You put hope in my life. Oh, there's people around you that need hope. You know, the Christian life is not meant to just be lived self-contained. It's meant to share. God gives you hope. You can give it to someone else. I've often said that Joy and I's marriage was so difficult at the beginning. But you know what? God helped us. There were promises there. And we were able to move beyond what we saw to something that's so much better. And you know what? I tell you what, Joy and I have hope for any marriage. You show me two people who are willing to get before God and say, Lord, help us. I show you a marriage that can work. I've got hope. I've been there before. So I can share that hope. I got hope that you can come out of a lifestyle that is toxic. I got hope that you can change. I got hope that even if you failed, you can come past that. Because God has given me hope. So I just give it to you. And then we have it. He said, well, I don't have your experience. No, but you've got his promises. And if you've got his promises, you've got all you need. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a 
Russian author. I believe he's a Pulitzer Prize winning. He was very famous. But for years, he spent in a Siberian prison. It was horrible, harsh. And it was so difficult on Alexander that he just, he got so discouraged, he said, I, I, I give up, I'm gonna die. And he knew how he was gonna do it. That Siberian work gang. He would be out there and he would be digging. And he said, he knew that if he stopped digging and just leaned on his shovel and refused to dig anymore, he said the guards would come and literally beat him to death. So he planted his, his shovel in there and he leaned on it. He said one of his fellow prisoners saw what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. And the fellow prisoner took his shovel and right in front of Alexander, he made a cross. And then he erased it before the guards could see it. Alexander said when he saw that cross, he said it energized him like nothing else. He said when he realized the hope and the courage that we have in Christ. And he was so grateful for a fellow believer who would remind him of that hope. This morning, let me be the guy drawing the cross in the sand in front of you. But if you've lost hope for life, hope for a future, hope that things can never get better, let me remind you of the courage and the hope that we have in Christ. And if you've got God, you've got hope. Would you bow your head for a moment? Please, no one leaving will be out of here in just, just a couple of minutes if you came and said, Alan, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. I know it and he knows it. Or maybe you're, you're saying, you know, I used to have a relationship with the Lord and I got away from him. And you recognize this morning, with him is where I need to be. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. We're going to say a prayer. We're not going to ask you to stand up, come to the front. You're watching online. If you're by yourself, listen, I can't see you, but this is for you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you to do one thing if you're here. If that's you, would you just quickly slip your hand up and say, Alan, would you pray for me? I've been away from God. I know it. I need him in my life. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, way in the back. I got you. Anybody else? Say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand and you wanted to. Maybe you thought we would embarrass you. We're not trying to embarrass you. We're trying to help. But this prayer is for you. God sees hands. He sees hearts. We're going, to, we're going to pray this prayer. Obviously, if you're online, I can't see you, but here's the deal. We're going to pray this prayer. You pray it with us. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. You pray it out loud. If you're by yourself, you pray it out loud. If you're with others, pray it quietly. If you're here, pray this prayer with us. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, head still bowed and eyes closed. Father, thank you for every one of those that prayed that prayer. For those who've come back into fellowship with you and for those who've come stepped straight out of darkness into your marvelous light, we rejoice with them. And for the rest of us, Father, thank you. You are the God of hope. You can still bring hope into any situation. There is no hopelessness with you. You are our God. Thank you for speaking your hope into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.